Uh, Ruth chapter 4. We are uh, finishing our little series in the book of Ruth today. And uh, in a few weeks, uh, we hope to begin a new series in uh, 1 Corinthians, which I'm, I'm very much looking forward to. It will probably take us through the rest of this year at least. And uh, I'm excited to reflect upon all the ways that the Apostle Paul brings the gospel to bear upon the many, many problems uh, affecting the Corinthian church. Uh, so we will, uh, Lord willing, come to that series in a few weeks, but today we're here in Ruth chapter 4, and I'm going to begin reading from the 13th verse. So let's give our attention to the hearing of God's word. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Well, I wonder if you have noticed a trend recently in movies which end really without an ending, or end with uh, lots of loose ends and lots of unanswered questions. I don't know about you, but I hate it. <laughs> I hate it because I, I, I want to see the, the complete story. I think there's something deep within us that, that longs to see the, the story completed. I want to see the, the guy and the girl get back together, the bad guy lose, all of the loose ends tied up. Uh, we, we want to see, as it were, the, the full redemptive arc completed. I think that's one of the reasons that the story in the book of Ruth is, is so compelling uh, because uh, there are no loose ends left here. There's a complete resolution to the crisis. Actually, the resolution to the crisis exceeds all of our expectations, as I hope we'll see today. And so with that in mind, let's look at this last part of the book of Ruth. Remember from last time that Boaz has secured uh, the right of redemption from the closer relative uh, for this plot of land that belongs to Elimelech, Naomi's deceased husband, Ruth's father-in-law. And along with that, the right of redemption, he can now take Ruth to be his, his wife and produce an heir to Elimelech and Malon, Ruth's uh, dead husband. To, to maintain the family line, uh, maintain the plot of land for this family among the people of God in the land of promise, all according to the Leveret marriage laws of the time. 
And so the, the way was finally opened up for Naomi and Ruth, for their story not to end in emptiness or bitterness, but to end with great joy. And we pick up the story as the final resolution to this drama at, at last takes place. And as we watch all of the loose ends of the story finally being tied off, we're, we're actually being taught, I think, about the nature of the salvation that God provides for his people. The nature of the salvation that God provides for his people. And so along those lines, I want us this morning to think about the symbol of our salvation, the savior of our salvation, and the scope of our salvation. Okay, don't overanalyze uh, that alliteration. It's just something for us to hang our hats on. Hopefully it will be helpful to you. You've got to give me points for the alliteration, at least. Uh, number one, then, let's think about the first one here, the symbol of our salvation. It's, it's marriage. We're meant to see here that, that salvation is not a mere transaction. It involves a marriage. So take a look at verse 13, and we read, Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Now, that language there, of Boaz taking Ruth, actually highlights an aspect of the marriage custom in those days. So Deuteronomy 20, verse 7, speaks about the bridegroom bringing his bride into his own house. This is what Boaz did. Boaz took Ruth into his house. The elders refer to that part of the marriage ritual back in uh, chapter 4, verse 11, when they say, May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah. And so Boaz has publicly secured the legal right to marry Ruth, and now by taking her into his home, he completes the ritual. But it's interesting to notice that as the story has progressed to this point, Ruth has been on a journey. Uh, not, not merely a physical, geographical journey from Moab to Bethlehem, but a, a journey of status. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 10, I believe it is, she refers to herself as a foreigner, um, an outsider, an alien. And three verses later, she refers to herself as, as a servant or a slave. And then in the next chapter, in chapter 3, verse 9, she's a maidservant. And now, at last, in chapter 4, verse 13, she's become a wife. You see, Ruth has, Ruth's story, Ruth's life has been utterly transformed from foreigner to servant to maidservant to wife. And the elders, you remember, liken this Moabite girl to the matriarchs of, of Israel. Everything about Ruth and her story has changed forever. So the question then, how, how did this transformation take place? What brought about this great reversal in Ruth's personal story? And the answer is her, her marriage to Boaz. The, that, that Boaz. the fact that Boaz has now become her husband. And, and while Leveret laws and the customs of you know, ancient Israel no longer apply today in this way, we, you know, we no longer have kinsmen redeemers, Nevertheless, we understand something about this reality in our own lives and experience. You know, the fact is that there are, there are very few things more life-altering 
than, than marriage. When a man and a woman are, are joined in marriage, they, they cease to be what they once were. The two become one flesh, Scripture says. It's a union that profoundly transforms your life. And, and those of us who are married have to say that we are who we are in large part because of who we are married to. And, and you see, marriage by God's design is meant to teach us something about God's love and his commitment to his people. That's why it's a key metaphor to describe the bond between God and his people or the way that Christ loves his church. So you remember these familiar words from Paul in Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 25, when he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of water with the word, that he might present her to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Here's the kicker. Paul then says, this mystery is profound. I'm referring to Christ in the church. You see, we're meant to understand that marriage by the design of God from the very beginning is meant to teach us about the saving and transforming union between Christ and his people. When marriage is what, it, what it's supposed to be. So throughout the book of Ruth... We have seen in Boaz, have we not, a picture of our perfect Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and here we learn how it is that our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus, takes us from being outsiders like Ruth the Moabitess and brings us in to belong, to belong among the people of God, to be in an intimate fellowship with the God who redeems us. He does it. He does it by taking a foreigner and making her his wife. Christ saves his church by loving her and giving himself up for her to sanctify her, cleanse her, to make her splendid and radiant, holy and without blemish. This is how Christ has loved you, dear brothers and sisters. Not at a distance but by laying his life down in order to redeem you and make you his own. And so when you read back in chapter 4, if you remember that whole scene that took place at the city gate when Boaz went in the morning to secure the right of redemption, maybe that whole ordeal seemed like a cold business legal transaction. Hardly the preparations for you know, the romance of a marriage. And maybe we're, maybe we're tempted, though, to think of the bond between Christ and his people in similar terms. A, a dry, impersonal, cold, legal business transaction. But, but the truth is, you see, the truth is we have been redeemed because we have been loved. And we have been loved by the bridegroom himself who has taken the matter into his own Hands and has pursued us in order to make us his own. You and I are Christians because Jesus has given his life 
to redeem us. From heaven he came and sought her to be his, his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her and for her life he died. It's one of the hymns that we sing. That is how Jesus loves the church. And like it was for Ruth, you see, so it is for us that this relationship, this bond gives us a new status and utterly transforms our lives. But as you trace the, the redemptive story here in the book of Ruth to its end, well, the truth is that you may still feel like, like the, the redemptive story of your own life remains unresolved. Maybe it seems like there are lots of unanswered questions over your life, lots of loose ends just hanging there. So much remains to be resolved. And, and it is ultimately unsatisfying because the story remains incomplete. We all find ourselves there in some, to some degree. So let me just say this to all of us, my friends. If you have one greater than Boaz as your redeemer, if Christ is your bridegroom, then you can have complete security that one day he will come to take you into his home and to see to it that the great theme of your life, the defining reality of your life, is his redeeming love. One day he will make all things new. We read about that in the book of Revelation. You remember these words, John the Apostle, when he's talking about the vision he had. He says, then I saw, listen closely to the language, a new heavens and a new earth, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, the people of God coming down out of heaven prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That's the bridegroom's promise to you, dear one. That's your story in Jesus the Redeemer. And so as we watch all the loose ends of Ruth's story finally coming together, what we are seeing I think is a picture of the way that God will bring all of the loose ends of the biblical storyline to its own perfect conclusion, resolution. And then as you look at your own life and you see all of these unresolved things and loose ends remaining uh, unresolved, find in this story, find in the book of Ruth, the narrative promise and assurance that one day soon the bride will, bridegroom will come and he will keep his promise. And everything will be resolved and made as it should be. And so the symbol of our salvation, we learn from Boaz and Ruth that salvation is not a mere legal transaction. It involves a marriage. And then secondly, we, we learn about the Savior of our salvation here, that he is the promised servant king. Promised servant king. Look again at verse 13. Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her. 
and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Now that is a remarkable statement that underscores for us the importance of this child being born. In fact, I think there are at least four ways in which the narrator highlights the importance of the child being born. Four ways these verses highlight the importance of the child being born. Let's think about them together. First of all, that language, the Lord gave her conception. There's actually only one other verse in the book of Ruth where um, the Lord is the direct subject of the verb. It's back in chapter 1, verse 4, when uh, Naomi and Ruth are far off in the land of Moab and they've resolved to come back to Bethlehem. And we read in verse 4 that the Lord visited his people and gave them bread. And so here are two constructions that are designed, I think, at the beginning and end of the story to, to echo one another. The coming of this child or the giving of this child, is the result of another divine visitation. God is doing something special with the birth of this son. Another reason, or another way the, the narrator highlights the importance of the child being born. Notice that when it says the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son, that that precise construction, the Lord gave her conception, it's actually only used twice elsewhere in the whole of Scripture. And most significantly, one of those places is Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, when the Lord says that the woman will conceive and bring forth a child in, in the pain of childbirth, and yet one day a son will be born to the woman who, verse 15, will crush the head of the serpent. So Ruth here is is like a second Eve, a new Eve, and her son carries the weight of the covenant promises of God. And then in, in the third place, notice that it is Ruth that we're talking about here, who after 10 years of prior marriage to Malon is without a child. She had no children during that time period. She had been childless for all of those years, and now the Lord gives her a child. And so now she takes her place alongside others in Scripture who were given children when all earthly hope of childbearing had been lost. You see, and the emphasis in all of those stories is that this is the work of the Lord continuing, working out his plan of salvation to bring the Redeemer into the world. Because Sarah, Hannah, Elizabeth, and, and Mary, who had never even been with a man, and again, the point is to highlight the significance of this child being born. One more thing, a fourth way. Uh, the, notice the women of the town name the child in a significant manner, not just because of his significance to Naomi and Ruth, but because of his significance for all of them. They name the child Obed. Obed means servant. Now, put all of that together, and do you see what's being taught here? Here is a child who is coming as the result of a divine visitation, whose conception portrays Ruth as a new Eve and places Ruth among the, the mothers of Israel's heroes. 
and his name is Servant. Okay, if, if, if Boaz is a picture of Christ as the bridegroom, as he marries Ruth, so too very clearly is his, his son. See, Obed, Obed's birth directs our gaze to the Lord Jesus himself. Think about it. Jesus is the baby of Bethlehem in whom God visits the world. Jesus is Eve's son who crushes the serpent's head. Jesus is the son of the virgin to whom the Lord gave conception. And Jesus is the servant of the Lord, the true Obed, as we learn in a passage like Isaiah 53, upon whom our iniquities were laid and by whose stripes we are healed. See, I think it's impossible with the help of the Spirit, it's impossible to not see this passage pointing us directly to Jesus Christ if we read it with care. But in case we miss all of the signposts that are directing us to Jesus so far, well, the narrator drops all subtlety and he pounds home the hope of a king. A king to save Israel. And he does so with unmistakable clarity, I think, as this chapter comes to a conclusion in verses 17 through 22. So you take a look at the genealogy. Obed was the father of Jesse, Jesse the father of David. These are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Amminadab, Amminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, Jesse fathered David. Okay, what is God up to here? What is God up to in this story in the book of Ruth? Yes, he, you know, he's, he's taking Ruth the outsider, making her an insider. Ruth the Moabite, making her to be a true Israelite of faith. But God is doing so much more than that. He was at work to secure the birth of Obed, the servant, whose arrival ensured the preservation of the line from which King David would come, Israel's great king. And he would be the one from whom... The son of David, great David's greater son, would one day come. See, what is the book of Ruth really? At the end of the day, it is the story of the gospel of God unfolding in history. The story of how God is providing the redeemer that we all need for helpless sinners like ourselves. The good news of a servant king who redeems his people. And I think this little genealogy is designed to, to point us forward. Did you notice how its focus is on the children, the child of the child of the child of the child of the union between Boaz and Ruth, who would be the, the, the servant king, the savior of the world. So the book of Ruth is, is the story of God at work to, to bring us Jesus the, the promised servant king. God was at work when he brought Naomi and Ruth back from Moab. God was at work that day when Ruth just so happened to stumble into the field that belonged to Boaz. God was at work that day Boaz went to the city gate and ne negotiated with the other possible kinsman redeemer to secure the right of redemption. And God was at work in the conception of Obed, this son of Boaz and Ruth. 
You see, in it all, God was working. And at the end of the day, when we read this in the light of of Scripture, he was working to give you Jesus. He was working to give you the servant king, the true Obed of the Lord, the true king of kings and Lord of lords, great David's greater son. See, this genealogy read in light of the, the full revelation that God gives us in his word functions like a, well, like landing lights on, uh, in an airport as a, as a plane comes down at night. You know, those guiding lights on the runway to, to lead the plane safely to the terminal. Each of these names in this genealogy is like one of those lights designed to bring you home safely to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the pressing question is, have you, have you come safely to Christ? Do you see that in, in the book of Ruth, it's being made very clear that he's not a mere figure in a stained glass window. He's not a character in a fictional story that's meant to give you all of the feels. He's the promised servant king. And his story is grounded in history. So do you, do you know him? Because he's real and salvation is found in him alone. To ignore him is to ignore what God has been working to do since Genesis 3.15. Indeed, before that. And so the symbol of salvation, it, it's, it's a marriage, not a mere legal transaction. The savior of our salvation, the promised servant king, the Lord Jesus himself. And then finally, the scope of our salvation. Just a minute on this one. It, it's comprehensive, isn't it? Look again at verses 14 and 15. Notice how the, the women of the town pronounce their blessing on Naomi. Our focus now on Naomi. The Lord has not left her without a redeemer whose name will be famous in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. Now, um, her redeemer is the child born to Ruth so that this baby is, is, is the catalyst for the final and complete reversal of Naomi's emptiness and the, the certain provision for her future. And so what will this union with Christ that's like a, a mar- likened to a marriage do for, for you and me? What, what, what is it that, that knowing Jesus personally provides? I think there's something to be learned about that from this passage. Take a look at it. Obed, the servant, will redeem Naomi by restoring her life, nourishing her in her old age. What a wonderful picture that is of the complete reversal that has taken place in Naomi's own story. You remember some of the details of Naomi's life? She, she left with her family from the land of promise to go to Moab. And after 10 catastrophic years where she lost her husband and her her two sons, she, she comes back empty, saying, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, call me bitter, because the Lord God has dealt bitterly with me. And we've watched as God superintended Ruth and, and Boaz's lives to, to bring them together, and all the, the while we've watched as well 
as he's been in pursuit of Naomi's heart, wooing her and drawing her back to himself. We've seen some of her missteps and wrong turns. And and then we've seen her come at the end of chapter 3, at last to place her trust in the work of another, in the work of Boaz. And now as the book comes to a close, you see, we see God lavishing restoration and nourishment upon her. I will restore, or he will restore your life and be the nourisher of your years. And when you think about it again, isn't that a picture of what the Lord Jesus Christ does for all who are his? What does he say? He says, I have come that you may have life and life abundantly. Jesus is the, the, the great restorer of your life. And to be sure, he, he doesn't come to merely enhance your life as, as it is now. He doesn't come merely to extend your life as it is now. The, the kind of life that Jesus comes to bring to his people is qualitatively di- different from the kind of life that Obed gave to Naomi, but we can learn from this that the life the Lord Jesus intends to give to his people is new life, renovated life, indeed eternal life, now and eternity, for for all eternity. So as we've looked at the book of Ruth together, as we wrap things up, we've, we've watched God, the matchmaker, lead Ruth into the arms of Boaz and Naomi back to himself. But I think it's right to say that the ultimate purpose of God in the book of Ruth is to drive each and every one of us into the arms of Jesus Christ. So that we we are able to say, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. Fairer than 10,000. Are you able to say that about the Lord Jesus? You say that from the depths of your heart. Do you know him? Or, or is your Christianity a mere idea, an abstraction, something that's superficial? If it is, dear friend, it, it's an empty shell and a worthless imitation. The book of Ruth points you and I to the only one we really need. The restorer of your life and the nourisher of your years. May the Lord draw each one of us to him. Let's pray together. Our Father, we do thank you for this little book, the book of Ruth, and we thank you for the Lord Jesus, the servant king that you have ordained and provided. We thank you that he is the bridegroom of his people. He laid down his life to redeem us. We thank you that he is the restorer of our lives and the nourisher of our years. Would you please draw each one of us to look to Christ and to come to him by faith and to know his embrace. We pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.